Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This great chapter, the roll call of the faithful. We see in it uh, many heroes of the faith. Uh, this morning we are continuing to study uh, one of those heroes, or some of those heroes, as we look at verses 23. Verse 29, I would ask you please, if you're able, stand together with me as we read from God's Word. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him from, for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. That's part of the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Well, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, you may recall that uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to many of the uh, Hebrew uh, believers. They have left Judaism and they've converted to Christianity. And they are beginning to undergo some persecution and seeing that persecution rise and getting more and more difficult. And they're wondering if maybe they made the right decision by becoming a, a Christian. And some of them are thinking, maybe I ought to go back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, you can't do that. Um, you really can't do that. You can't commit apostasy. He talks about apostasy a couple of times, turning away from the faith. He says, you can't do that. Why would you do that? Christ is the fulfillment of all that Judaism, the old covenant, talked about. Why would you go back to that? He's already come. He's the fulfillment of that. And so here in chapter 11, he's saying you've got to have faith that God is, is <clears throat> certainly uh, able to fulfill his promises and willing to fulfill his promises. And he has fulfilled his promises to us in Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't turn back. And so in the, with the fact that they're undergoing these persecutions, hardships, and trials, he's going to remind them in this chapter that all of the Old Testament saints... All of these people that they hold in such high esteem say, you know what? They underwent great persecution as well. And they all continued in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of hardships and trials, to hold on to the faith that they had in the one who made the promises to them, knowing that he was able and willing and would fulfill these things, even if it meant after they had passed away in this life that they would receive the things promises. 
uh, to them. And so he's been telling them about that. He told them about Abel, about Enoch, about Noah, and about uh, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And this morning we get to another great uh, uh, hero of the faith. He's gone through uh, the book of Genesis with, uh, of course, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's gone through the book of Genesis. Now he starts into the, the, to the book of Exodus and tells us of this great hero of the faith for them and for us uh, that came in the beginning of the book of Exodus. And he's talking uh, about Moses. Now, as we get on through this chapter, you're going to see him list a lot of other people. And he's going to say, I don't have time to tell you about all of them who continued to live in, in faith and the hardships and the troubles and the difficulties that they were going through. It's almost like this chapter could go on and on and on. You could start including New Testament saints in there who lived their life in faith of, of Jesus Christ and the promises that are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. You could, you could go on uh, from, you know, throughout church history to look at all the saints who've lived their lives in faith. And today, even those who've lived their life in faith, and you think, could my name be put in there? I want my name in that chapter. But you wonder how your faith can really enable you to be put in this chapter, especially when things are difficult in your life. Maybe you're finding that your health is failing, and you pray, and it's still failing. <laughs> um, maybe you had loved ones who were dying, and you pray that God would heal them, and yet they continue in their condition, and sometimes they even pass away in this life. Maybe <clears throat> your bank account is dwindling, and you wonder, how can this be for someone who loves the Lord? Maybe you have rebellious children. That's, that's not, I don't think that's an oxymoron, but it could be. <laughs> maybe your children are rebelling against you. Maybe, maybe with all of this, you look at society and the hostility, even in our nation, uh, especially against Christians, to where more and more they want to say, your Christianity is okay as long as you keep it within these walls. And you think about how people can so easily lose their jobs if they speak out for Christ uh, there. And it's just going more and more uh, hostile. And we begin to think, can my faith really be strong in the midst of all these things? They were starting to lose property here, these uh, Hebrew Christians that the author's writing to, they were starting to lose property. They were starting to be thrown in prison. They were starting to be physically abused. It wouldn't be long before their lives would be taken as well. And so he wants them to say, all of these people of faith, they got the promises of God and they believed, continued to believe that God was able and he would fulfill them his promises to them, even to the end of their life. So he's encouraging them and he's encouraging us in the middle of all the difficulties in our life to stay keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, knowing the promises that everything that we have in this life is temporal, but the eternal is coming and it's a bright and glorious future that we have. 
And so with that in mind, he points us to uh, the life of Moses as another example of uh, one who kind of underwent great difficulty and yet continued to trust that God was faithful and he placed his faith in him. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at the life of Joseph. He puts it in just these few sentences here. Um, and there's so much more that we find in the uh, Old Testament about his life. And we're going to look at some of that. But uh, in fact, when he first starts off about Moses' life there in verse 23, he's talking more about his parents, uh, Amram and Jochebed. If you want to uh, hold your place here and turn back to Exodus chapter 2. Let me, uh, let me actually remind you uh, of what's going on in Exodus chapter 1 uh, to begin with, just before Moses comes on the scene here. You recall the end of Genesis chapter 50, uh, Joseph's brought all of his family into Egypt as their, the one who would save them from, from the drought and from certain annihilation or being destroyed by uh, not having enough to eat and to live. And he brings them in, and the Pharaoh who was Pharaoh then... Uh, you know, favored them. And so that's what happens at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 50. They're, they're in Egypt and they're in high favor. But as the years pass, they become less and less in favor uh, of, of the, the Jewish people. And so we pick it up in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. It says, Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become uh, much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and uh, with forced labor. And they uh, built uh, Pithom and Ramses as store cities. For Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to the uh, Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made them live bitter. Uh, they they made their lives bitter and hard labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields and all kinds of hard labor. Uh, the Egyptians used ruthlessly. Okay, they're trying to work it out of them. They're going to be so tired. There's no way they're going to be able to have more children. Well, that's not what happens, we see, going on. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were uh, Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not want to do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Uh, they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why do you let the boys live? I love this answer. All right. not, not that it's okay to lie, but I, I do love this answer. Okay? Says, the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, uh, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh 
They gave the order to all the people, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Okay, so here's the context. Too many, too many Israelites in our midst. We've got to get rid of them, right? We've got to have some final solution, kind of like what Hitler, I guess, thought about. Well, he thought he would work them to death, but that didn't work. They kept multiplying. And so then, he's, then he tries to get the Hebrew midwives, you know, Anytime they have a boy, you kill him. That didn't work. And then he makes a proclamation. Anytime a Hebrew boy is born, you've got to throw him in the Nile River. Right? Put him to death. Um, well, um, we see what happens. Uh, he comes to the midwives. I just love that. These, the Hebrew women, they're not like those Egyptian women. You know, Egyptian women have a baby, and they got to lay around a couple of hours after it. Hebrew women just... You know, pop down, have the baby, and keep working. Right? Anyway, that's kind of an interesting thing. Well, um, Pharaoh was still trying to kill all of the all of the uh, Hebrew males. That way, you can get them out. Uh, there won't be so many of them if you kill all the Hebrew males that are born. And so he says, you got to throw them in the Nile. Well, then we see in chapter two, there's a Levite man who's married a Levite woman. Uh, Amram and Jochebed, and they have this child um, that they, they see as beautiful. Well, that's kind of interesting because everyone who has a child looks at that child and says, it's beautiful, right? Uh, and I guess maybe sometimes beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, but they, in any time the child is in the eyes of the parents, it's beautiful, but this one is, there seems to be something a little bit more uh, going on here. It seems that Amram and Jochebed knew uh, something that God was promising to do uh, with Moses. This was kind of a commonly held belief at that time. They, they understood that God had particular plans for this child and that they ought to hide it. And so they do hide it, of course, for three months in their house and then they can't hide it any longer. He's getting too big, making too much noise. So they decide they'll make a little boat for him. They put it out in the Nile. And you know the story where uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes out and finds him. Uh, Moses' sister, Miriam, says, Oh, you found a child. You want me to get a nursemaid for you? And says, sure. And so she goes and gets a Jochebed. But back to the fact that, that it seems that uh, Jochebed and Amram knew at that time that, uh, that God had a special plan for Moses. Uh, first century Jewish historian Josephus was talking about this, and when he is writing on it, he expressly states that Amram had a divine revelation about Moses uh, during Jochebed's pregnancy. Now, I don't know that that can be, we, we can confirm that anywhere, but it was a common belief at that time that they had some idea that God was going to use Moses in a particular way uh, to deliver his people. Now, you can just imagine when they have a child at this point, and they're thinking, it is a boy. What are we going to do? We can't, we can't obey the king's uh, edict here to have him put to death. Um, we can't just go throw him in the Nile. What are we going to do? We're going to disobey the king. What would the cost be if they were found? Well, the child would be killed. But what else? Well, they too would probably be killed, leaving... Uh, leaving Miriam and Aaron as, as orphans. It would be a kind of a tough thing. 
but they chose to believe God and to trust God and to, and to not fear the king's edict at this point. And so uh, God works it out in ways that they never could have thought, I don't think, in amazing sort of ways, um, where, of course, the daughter of Pharaoh comes, finds him, she takes him. Miriam comes and says, I'll go find him in the nursemaid. She says, okay, and so she gives him to Jochebed to, to raise him. And you can imagine that all this time she's raising Moses, she's teaching him about the promises that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And saying, we're here in this land for a while, but God's promised we're going to get out and we're going to go have our own land. Moses, I think, is learning from his parents' faith. This is one of the best things you can ever pass on down to your children's faith, right? Trusting God in the most difficult times. Trusting God when there's trials in your life that, that you can't understand how to get through. And yet you, you say, God's in control here. I'm going to trust in Him in the midst of all of this. I'm going to trust in Him to do what is right. And I may have to suffer some in this life. I may have to suffer in ways that nobody would want to. But I want you to know, God's made promises. The suffering's going to be gone. And that's going to be for eternity. And it's going to be good. I can trust God. I can trust Him with all that I have right here and right now. And it seems that uh, <clears throat> Jochebed, probably Aaron, who certainly instilled that into the life of Moses, he became a person of faith. Well, we see that his parents uh, bring it on and instill it to him. And we begin to look at Moses' early life when he's talking about, <clears throat> and uh, back in Hebrews 11, he says, uh, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated uh, along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Can you imagine the son of Pharaoh's daughter? I mean, you talk about a silver spoon, right? Anything that you wanted. I mean, the, the most wealthy nation in all the world. And he was at the top of that. He would have been trained in all of the Egyptian ways, would have gone to all the best Egyptian schools, learned all of the best stuff, and he would have had the finest of everything all of his life. And he grows up, and um, he looks at the Egyptians, and he sees they're persecuting the people who I know are really my people. Now, if I enjoy the pleasures that, that they have there, that is sin because they're persecuting my people. And he looked at it and he says, these things, these pleasures that they have, these pleasures of sin, that's temporary. You know what? Is, is sin pleasurable? We certainly think so when we're looking at it, don't we? Man, this is the greatest thing in the world. Sin looks so pleasurable. And yet, it's always short-lived. I imagine David looking at Bathsheba thought, this is wonderful, but it was so short-lived. Um, Achan, when he saw the, the, uh, uh, the, the bounty uh, from Jericho and decided he'd take some and keep it for himself, he thought, this looks so great. But it was so short-lived. Anytime that we 
we sin and we may think we've got away with it, it shows short-lived because it's only for the here and now. And if our life is based on um, looking uh, for the material blessings that this world can offer, you think about how many material blessings you've wanted throughout your life and you've gotten. You, you, you pleaded with your parents for this for Christmas and you think, if I can just get this, this will be, oh, my life will be complete. And now you can't even remember what it was you asked for. Right? Or maybe you remember what you asked for, you can't remember where it is. Maybe Ma said it. Maybe it rusted. Remember that first car you had to have? And it's not with you anymore. These things are temporal. If we put our life and our, and our faith and our trust in the material blessings of this world, it is temporary. And if we put that ahead of God, it's an awful thing. Well, Moses seemed to look at the, all the blessings that could have been offered to him <clears throat> as being... Uh, high up in the Egyptian uh, government as being a, a, a son of Pharaoh's daughter and all of those things that he could enjoy but knowing that in enjoying that he is contributing to uh, the persecution of his own people he says he wasn't willing to do that and he wasn't willing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter he would much rather have associated with those who were the slaves and so he did not look at the pleasure of sin as if some, that was something that he had to grasp and hold on to. It was only a temporary, fleeting, uh, short thing going on. So what does he do instead? He decides he is going to associate himself with the slaves. I'm part of you. And so you recall what happens in Exodus. He goes out one day and there's one of the Egyptian slave masters beating a Hebrew a child. And so he says he looks this way and he looks that way and he goes and he, and he kills him. Kills the Egyptian. Hides him in the sand. And then the next day he goes out and he finds these two Hebrew children, two Israelites fighting. He says, why are y'all doing this? You, you should be on the same page here. And one says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? He knows he's found out at that point. And so he takes off. Remember, he takes off and uh, he goes to Midian and he lives there um, taking care of his father-in-law's flocks uh, for, for many years. <clears throat> but it just is interesting that, um, that he, he, at this point in his life, is showing faith in God by saying, I'd rather be associated with the people of God than all the blessings that the world can offer to me. So he trusts in God here at this point. He continues to trust in the Lord even in his early life. Well, let's go on to his later life. Verses 27 through 29. <clears throat> By faith, uh, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He preserved, uh, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood uh, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. He left Egypt. 
He left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. You may go, well, when he ran off, the king was after him, and it says he was afraid of the king, right? He left Egypt twice, you realize. First time he leaves, he's afraid the king's going to kill him, so he goes and runs to Midian. And then there in, in Exodus chapter 3, he meets the, the Lord at the burning bush, and God says, I want you to go back to my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And after this, this uh, excuse session by Moses, the Lord finally says, I'm not taking no for an answer. You're going to go. So he goes back, and um, he, he goes back and uh, he goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord said to let my people go. We want to go out in the wilderness and, and worship. <clears throat> so Pharaoh says, you just, they just want to be lazy, and I'm going to make it harder on them. You make bricks without straw. I don't know anything about brick making, but I guess that was very difficult back then. So uh, he made it harder on them. They had, to, they had to produce more than they were already producing. And the, the Israelites at this point said, who made you, you know, head over us? But Moses doesn't take that uh, and give up. He continues to know that God is calling him. He called him out of his comfort zone in Midian to go and to do what the Lord had told him. And even though the people at this, this point in Exodus chapter 5, they're rejecting Moses, he continues uh, there in Egypt to pursue uh, the, the task that God had given him. It says here that he saw him who is invisible. God who is invisible and made these promises to him and made these promises to God's people. He revealed to Moses he was going to use him to take the people out. And at this point, he continues on going back to Pharaoh. And you know all the plagues that come up as a result of Pharaoh reneging on his promise to let them go. And finally, the, the plague of, the, the, plague of uh, the, the Passover, the lastborn, uh, or the, excuse me, the firstborn would be taken. And uh, God tells him, he tells him to uh, do this thing called the Passover. And you're going to sacrifice a lamb. And if anyone who's in the house who has that lamb has been sacrificed, took the blood, put it on the doorpost, and, uh, you know, the top and the bottom doorpost, death angel come by and pass over. Moses gets the details for that, gets the day, and he gives the details uh, to each of them just as they're supposed to be given. And then he says, you know, this is to be a memorial. Now by him saying this is a memorial, he knows the faithfulness of God who's promised this is going to continue on. They're going to be, continue to remember this years on down the road. God who has promised to deliver them by this, by this sacrifice is faithful and true. He's going to bring the paths. And so at this point, Moses is not afraid to leave uh, Egypt. He's not afraid of the king's anger. And after, of course, the, uh, after, of course, the uh, Passover, uh, the, the king and all the Egyptians said, we don't want you anymore. Get out of here. Go. 
And they leave, and the first thing they encounter, of course, is the Red Sea in front of them. They can't cross that. They don't know how they're going to get across it to Egypt. The uh, king's changed his mind again, put the Egyptian army right behind them. God sends the pillar of cloud and fire to keep the Egyptian army off of them until he tells Moses, you know, go out there, park the sea, and parks the sea, and they go across on dry ground. The people, uh, with the leadership of Moses, seeing and trusting the same, and the same God who's made the promises to deliver them, they're able to see it now and to, to say, yes, he is, he's going to deliver us. And indeed, he does deliver them. And they acted on the faith that they had in the one who would deliver them. Now, it's interesting here that uh, um, the, the end of verse 29 there says, but then the Egyptians tried to do so. They were drowned. The Egyptians tried, uh, Exodus 14. But you see, they were not acting on a reasonable faith. They weren't acting on a faith that the God who made these promises was going to deliver them. They weren't acting on a biblical faith. They were more of a, a visual leap of faith, right? Oh, it's dry ground. We can go across it. We just saw the Israelites go across it. We can go across it. So they, they take off across, and of course we know what happens. God covers them with water, and they all drown. They had no real revelation on the matter. They were just looking at what? their vision would tell them. If they had received revelation on the matter, I think God would have said, you better not do it, right? And if they had received that revelation and still done it, they would have been going against God's revealed truth and they still would have died. But the people of God and Moses leading the people of God have been acting on faith at this point. Faith and realize, faith that he learned from his parents, faith that he saw in God, faith that he, he saw the one who was invisible and knew that he was faithful and true and would bring all these promises to him to pass. Wasn't the last time Moses would encounter a number of hardships. He encounters a number of hardships throughout his life. We find it throughout Exodus telling us about Moses and all that he goes through. The people continue to reject him. But he continues living in faith all of his life. His parents had the hardships and the terrible heartache and heartbreak of thinking, should we obey the law, king, and throw our son into the Nile? No, we can't do that. We've got to trust that God is good. Trust that he, will, he is able and willing to deliver this child who will be the deliverer of the people. And Moses, even though he didn't want to, when God first called him, goes back and he faces all these hardships, continues to trust that the God who made his promises is faithful and true and will bring it to pass. So in our lives, sometimes I think we get mistaken on what God's promises really are. I mean, certainly he's given us promises for this life, but Paul says if it's, if it's only for this life that we have hope in God, we're more than all men to be most pitied, right? God is calling us to trust that he knows what's best for us, to be obedient to him, to have trust and faith that he who has made these promises is, is able and willing and will bring it to pass. And that we're not to look at the, look at the 
the benefits that we find in this life, and when we compare them, choose those over the things that God has told us to do. True faith knows the one who has revealed himself. He believes so much that obedience is simply the natural result for us. So this morning, as you're thinking about these things, how good is your faith? Do you really, really believe that the God who has made these promises to us will bring them to pass? Do you really believe that the one who's promised and willing and able to bring these things to pass should know what is best in telling us what to do? And therefore, we can trust him by doing what he tells us to do. Well, that's what the author of Hebrews is encouraging those in the first century, in first century, you've got a lot of things that are conflicting here with your faith and a lot of things that would tell you to leave the faith. I'm telling you, stand firm. Moses did. His parents did. Abraham did. Isaac did. Jacob did. Enoch did. Noah did. Abel did. He's going to go on saying all these people, they're facing all these hard times. All these choices where they could have turned, they didn't. They remained faithful. Because they knew the one who promised was faithful himself. Let's pray.